right, everyone open up your Bibles to John 17. So it was kind of neat. Um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm just getting older and little tiny things like this. Uh, I don't know. Make your life better. But I made a mistake and printed 70 study sheets last week. And it was, but it worked out though because we didn't get through with last week's notes. So now I didn't have to print off anything new. We just had extra back there. And now you guys all have it. So yay for that. So this is, <laughs> this is the exact same study sheet that we covered last week when we started friendships. Uh, so again, for a way of review, I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but just so you guys have your blanks, follow along in the introduction. As we get closer discussing dating, engagement, marriage, relationships, you can't forget where we've come from so far. We can't, rather. Every relationship in life flows out of your walk with Christ. Your closest to Him will determine how you biblically handle other relationships. Your relationship with your parents and siblings will have a direct effect on how you conduct yourself with who you choose to date. Likewise, the friendships you have with both the lost and saved world are no different. We talked last week, we, we looked at Proverbs 13, 20, a key core verse when it comes to friendships. And last week we specifically looked at friendships with Christians, friendships with other believers, because it says in Proverbs 13, 20, he that walk with wise men shall be wise. And if you guys recall, we talked about there's three types of Christian friends that each and every single one of us as believers should have in our lives. The very first one to fill in your blank was who? Paul. Paul's a disciple, a mentor, a counselor. That first bullet point, he's someone that you can seek counsel from. A believer who's farther along in their walk, who's seen more and experienced more of life that you can glean from their experiences. And then the next person, the next type of friend that everybody should have is a who? Timothy. Timothy. A disciple or a protege. Or as the phrase came up uh, earlier today, lab rat. Just kidding. Had to be there. Someone you can impart your lessons learned from life so that they don't repeat your mistakes. You ever stop and think about how the things that you go through, good and bad, are not just for you to learn so you don't repeat them, but so that you can help somebody else out so that they don't make the same mistakes you did? And that's one of the things that I love about how our system is structured with, I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with public education, but just the idea of, you know, when we get freshmen here in about six months, three months, I don't even know what time it is, three months time from now, you guys who have been through the ropes, you guys who have experienced the same transition struggles that they have, you'd be able to help them, to put your arm around them and say, hey, I know exactly what you're going through. I get it. I was freaked out and nervous about meeting some of these people too or, or you know, starting high school and all of those things. Here's how God got me through it. That's what the Bible says that, you know, in, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that the things that you've gone through, it's so that you can help console or help another when they're going through the exact same thing. And that's what a Timothy does. You help guide them through storms and other difficulties. And we see this pattern all throughout the Bible. It's not just Paul and Timothy, but as we saw last week, it's Elijah and Elisha. Discipleship relationships all the time. Uh, Moses and Joshua would be another one also. And lastly, who is the third friend group you should have? Barnabas. Barnabas, Barnabas was a good friend of Paul's. They were peers. I mean, you could even say there was one point where Barnabas, he was the more mature believer because he had been saved for a while when Paul got saved and he helped him along. Again, think about Paul's life. Think about the baggage that he had. Think about his reputation. He needed somebody who was going to be, no, 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 I know this guy is genuine. I know there's a change in this man. Let me come alongside and show you guys this. He was an encourager. This is someone who will be by your side through thick and thin. Someone who will push you in your walk with the Lord and who knows you'll do the same for them. So we ended last week asking, what's your testimony like with the people in this room and other believers? Do any changes need to occur? specifically within this room, as well as other believers too. And I won't belabor the point, but I mean, because we've talked about it before, your parents, your brothers and sisters, uh, older believers, maybe some who are in the college career singles that you might be close with. Do any changes need to take place? Do you need to seek out a Paul? Maybe you have nothing but Barnabases in your life, peers. That tends to be the case. 
But even amongst those peers, and there's multiple points I can go with this one, even with those, that peer-to-peer relationship, that Barnabas relationship, you could be good, close peer friends, but not be pushing each other to do what God wants you to do, to not do the points that we looked at here. You might have be thick as thieves with some of the friends in this room, but it's just about superficial things, things that don't really matter in light of eternity. The friendships you have with the people in this room should be those kind of iron sharpening iron relationships where it pushes you to be closer in your walk with Christ, where it pushes you to be more, more in love with Christ, to do the work of the Lord. But not only that, we want to make sure we don't get out of balance where all we have are Barnabases. Do you have any Timothys? Is God leading you to look after someone who's maybe younger? Again, this might mean a formal discipleship relationship with a junior higher, or it might mean putting your arm around somebody who's a freshman if you're an upperclassman. We talked about that last week. And definitely, 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 do you have any Pauls in your life? Bible saw, or, or Bible saw, Bible say, We saw in the Bible how it says a multitude of counselors. Multitude. You should have several Pauls in your life. I gave you three that I had just last week. Now, we come to the second half of our study sheet. And it's the second half of Proverbs 13, verse 20. So he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be what? So I went ahead and put a definition on here for you guys of companion. Again, it's one of those words that we know what it means. We could definitely define it, but there's just something about when you take a word that we know and you look at the actual definition of it and you kind of see it from a different light and a different perspective. Maybe this will be this for you, maybe it won't. But a companion is one who, this is deep, y'all, one who keeps company. Companion, company. One who keeps company with another. I mean, I don't even know if this is a phrase that's still used anymore, but I remember when I was little, you know, my parents would be like, hey, clean up your room. Why? Because we have company coming over. (laughs) Meaning that you're going to have people that are going to be in close proximity to you. You're going to be in close fellowship with them. That's a companion. That's company. A companion is one who keeps company with another. One who accompanies another. So you're with them wherever you go. You go where they go. They go where you go. You accompany them. You're close. Now, in light of that definition, relook at the second half of Proverbs 13, 20. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. If you keep company with foolish people, and again, whenever you see that, especially in the book of Proverbs, it's talking about lost people. A lost friend, a lost family member, a lost boyfriend, a lost girlfriend. When you keep company with them, Bible says that you're going to be destroyed. I've seen it happen with people's lives that they are absolutely wrecked and ruined. I've seen it happen where just their spiritual walk is wrecked and ruined. And it takes a long time in order to repair the breaches in the walls of their walk with Christ. And the stability in their walk with Christ. So you have to be careful. That's what we're going to talk about for the rest of today. So I have a little paragraph here because there needs to be some clarity. Obviously, our mission as disciples is to evangelize the lost to see them saved, right? I mean, that's our very mission statement. We do need to have a connection to the lost for that purpose. However, we cannot forget that there is a fine line between being in the world and being of the world. There is a fine line or a difference between the two. You guys are in John 17? All right. How do I want to do this? Whoever mixed up the room, it's kind of made it impossible to snake around. All right. We're going to start this way. Caleb, you're going to take verse 13. We'll go back to Ben, and then we'll go to Jack, and then we'll snake around that way. 13 to 20, everybody take one verse and read. John 17. Yep. And now I come 
And now I come, I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Real quick before, Ben, you begin. Context here, Christ is with the disciples at the Last Supper. It's the very final chapter that he's with them before he goes to the cross. He just got done giving them his final instructions, the last discipleship lesson. And here he's praying to the Father for them. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a follower of him? This is a prayer that Jesus prays for you. So this directly applies to you today. All right, next verse, 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. What verse are I? I'm sorry. 16. 16. Thou art not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for thee alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. I love that he put verse 20 in there. Because God's letting you know, hey, I'm not just praying for the 12 that are here right now, but for everyone who's going to believe on me hereafter. That definitely includes you guys. So everything he just prayed for is directly for you and how you are supposed to live and conduct yourselves with the friendships you have in this life. And how many times you guys notice it where he's like, I don't want you guys to be out of the world. Father, just protect them from the evil that is in the world. Because otherwise, how else are we supposed to reach the lost? How else are we supposed to have connections where we're able to invite people to church? Where we're able to invite them to camp? Where we're able to preach the gospel to them? We need to have these connections. We just don't become such close companions where we accompany them everywhere we go. And there's reasons for that as we're going to look at here in just a little bit. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. A few books to your right. So have friends that are lost, but don't become companions with them. Be friendly. We looked at that last week. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. Be friendly. 1 Corinthians 5, look at verse 9. Rick, do you want to take verse 9? And then we'll just slide on down. Samuel, take 10, and we'll go to verse 13. Or, sorry, verse 11. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or with the extortioners, or with the idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, like... Yep. Or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner with such and one, no, not to eat. Don't be company. Don't be over as company to their house. But did you catch that? How he says, you know, hey, don't keep company with fornicators. But verse 10, he's like, hey, not all together, because think about what comprises the world. There's nothing but lost people in the world. Did you check in in verse 10? He's like, hey, if you had to not keep company altogether with everybody, and again, in the context of what he's saying, he's like, you would literally need to go out of this world in order to not keep company with lost people. It's going to happen. What he's talking about is the spirit behind this of being so closely knit with them that they become your best friends, that you are thickest thieves, that you are companions with them. Yeah, can you, do you need to sit at the lunch table and eat with lost people who commit some of these very things that we just saw? Absolutely. You would literally have to go out of your school, if not, because there's just sinners surrounding you left and right. So he gets it. And thankfully, I love that there's a verse like this in our Bible because it lets us know, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I not keep company with these people? Sometimes I go over to lost family members' houses and it's nothing but lost people there. The Bible gets it. God gets it. Paul gets it. He's talking about the heartbeat behind it. He's talking about the fact that you are so close with them that they become your companion, that you go everywhere with them and they with you. We have to watch that. So point number one, and this is huge. 
you can still show yourself friendly to the lost for the cause of Christ and not be yoked companions with them. I had touched on this last week. You know, the Bible makes it clear. I, if there was a passage I would have, should have added, I should have added that. I think it's in Leviticus where it talks about an ass or a donkey. And if you trace that word through the Bible, you know what a donkey is compared to? A lost person. You know what a Christian is compared to all throughout the Bible? An ox. And if you had to plow a field, if you had a field that you lift up your eyes and look upon and see what God has given you to be an ambassador, to be a minister in that field, to be a light in that dark place, you don't want to yoke yourself as a close companion with somebody who is a donkey when you are an ox trying to plow the field, trying to get done for Christ what needs done and to shine your light so that men can behold your good deeds, as Matthew 5.16 says. We're not to be unequally yoked. That's why we have this passage up here. I'll get out of the way. Be ye not unequally yoked together with who? Unbelievers. If there's a verse you were feeling led to memorize to help you with the course of this study, it'd be that one because this verse is coming up again in the future weeks because it's all-encompassing. Be not unequally yoked. Again, I, I don't know if you guys, Jaden probably should have you bring something in like this. You guys know what a yoke is? It's like this, stand up and explain it. It's this big, you don't need to. It's this big hunk of metal, just correct me if I'm wrong. Big hunk of metal that you put two work animals, huh? Oh, it's leather? I think in the old days it might have been metal, but what do I know? It's leather that you tie the two animals together so that they can plow the cart together. That's what a yoke is. That's close proximity. That's, man, there's no easy way of getting out of this. We're this close with each other. That's what it means to be yoked. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he gives a reason for it. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? I get it. You probably have friends at school that are lost that you have more things in common with. I get it. I'm not unreasonable. I understand. But note the two words that he's saying here. Fellowship and communion. Fellowship. You trace that word. It all has to do with your closeness with Christ and the bonds you have with Christ. You can't get that if somebody does not have Christ living inside of them. Same thing with communion. I would say the key word here, well, I mean, commune, communication, but union. <laughs> you can't be in union with somebody who is not saved if they are full of darkness and you are full of light. And he jumps back even to Old Testament picture for this. What concord or what similarity is there with Christ and Belial? It's another word for Satan. Or what part hath he that believeth? With a what? An infidel, an unbeliever. Questions are used in the Bible to provoke thought, to provoke thinking. Has a whole ton of questions here in this verse. So what's the Spirit of God trying to tell you? You can still be friendly. You can still be in the world. Just don't look, sound, and think like the world. Don't unite yourself with people who are not saved. Be their friend. Don't be yoked companions with them. Turn over to Matthew chapter 9. Round of applause for guest teacher today, Jaden Scott, everybody. Round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that reminds me. Sometimes, you know, when you start talking about things that weren't planned in your notes, sometimes you could be off, case in point, a metal yoke, which would probably be very damaging to an animal now that I think about it. Uh, <laughs> the other night, Wednesday night, when we were talking about uh, 
what was it, the gap, and I mentioned the book of Job, and I mentioned that it's the oldest book in the Bible. It is the oldest book in the Bible. I think I had mentioned something about it being before the flood. That's not the case. It was definitely after the flood. But anywho, I just realized that. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. But I am not come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. To repentance. Again, this just fits in everything that we're talking about here. Yeah, do you sit at the lunch table, people? Absolutely. Because sinners need a Savior. You are called to shine your light, not just around other light and make this place brighter. No, you're called to shine your light in darkness. It's what we're called to be. It's what we're called to do. And again, notice what he said, what the Pharisees said here to Christ. Why your master? Why does he sit with the publicans and sinners? That right there shows you where his allegiance really is. He's not united with the publicans and sinners. He's not a close companion with the publicans and sinners. He was a master to the disciples. They were his friends. But he was still a minister to the lost. He still had to be in the world in order to let his light shine. It's okay for you to do that. Just make sure that they're not getting all of your time. Make sure that they're not getting your close business, your, your things that you keep to yourself or things that you struggle with. There should be people in this room, as we talked about last week, that you're able to share those things with because they're going to be able to commune with you. They're going to be able to fellowship with you. They're going to be able to give you Scripture verses or prayer that'll help you with whatever it is you're dealing with. So, show yourself friendly, just don't be yoked with them. Otherwise, you run the risk of falling into their sin and ruining your testimony. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, this is a letter from Paul written to the church. He's writing to believers, people who are saved. It'd be the same as if he were to come into this room right now and just read this letter. It'd be to you guys. He says in verse 1, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, man, this is how we're to walk, just like him. That's what discipleship is, these, verse two, these first two verses. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting. You know what the jesting and foolish talking is? Jesting is really, it's like pranking. But jesting in this context with foolish talking is talking about inappropriate communication, inappropriate jokes, saying inappropriate things, and in the context of a sexual nature. He goes, these are not convenient, but rather of giving thanks. He says in verse 3 that this kind of behavior and lifestyle should not be once named among you. Not once. In other words, if somebody wanted to lobby something against you, there may be a lot of things that we do that we fall short on. I'm no different than that. He says, it better not be this, though. Don't let it once be named among you. Because this is how lost people act. Now, again, I'm a realist. And honestly, you know, maybe not even this is right. But I understand because I'm a guy too, when guys get together, you tend to joke a little bit differently than you would if you were with your parents or in a group like this. And I'm sure even to an extent, maybe not the same exact way, girls even do that too when they get together. Where it becomes an issue, where there's a line that's crossed is what the book of Jude says, that you're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. 
meaning that you're taking the grace of God, the teaching from the grace of God, or the word of His grace found in Acts chapter 20. You're taking the word of His grace or the teaching, and you're turning that even into a sexual joke. That's a line that you don't cross. And he says, this kind of behavior, it's not convenient. It's what lost people do. And it shouldn't once be named amongst any of us. Our testimony ought to be said. Oh, actually, jump ahead. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. That's another very, very short verse. It'd be easy for us to memorize. It says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We looked last week about how the word conversation is used in the Bible to talk about your lifestyle, your behavior, your conduct, how you carry yourself. The word communication there is no different. It does mean your speech, but just your lifestyle. Evil communications, the way that you talk or the way you carry yourself, it's going to corrupt your life. It's going to corrupt the way that you walk. Be not deceived. Anytime you see that phrase show up in your Bible, it doesn't really show up that much, comparatively speaking. You want to take special heed to verses like that. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you're hanging around people that are talking that way, it's only a matter of time where you start following suit. And if they are doing deeds like this, and you are a closely yoked companion, it's only a matter of time before you start doing the deeds that they do. Some of which are found right here. We got to be careful. Second bullet point, our testimony ought to be such that whatever accusations the world throws at us, there's no reason for anyone to believe it. You guys are, well, actually, I don't even know why I put this on the slideshow because we're in the chapter. But verse 11, in the context of what we just read, he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Holy smokes. Uh, you want to talk about if you're having a struggle of not being uh, you know, equally yoked with unbelievers, if you're struggling with that, just try re reproving some of their evil deeds the next time you're hanging out with them. That'll be a surefire way to have a split there, to be unequally yoked, or to not be unequally yoked. Yes? There is a difference between reproving and rebuking. Rebuking is harsh, reproving is more loving. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I will never forget. I mean, times I started working when I was a sophomore in high school. And also the same year I started walking with Christ. But I remember like both at work and with friends at school where they would ask me, hey, why aren't you doing this? Hey, you know, do you want to come party with us? And there are times where I would just say, no, I don't party. I don't do any of that because it's going to ruin my testimony with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a reproof. You're not condemning them. Spirit of God's doing that for you as you're talking to them. That's how you're able to do that. You live your life like that, and you make a stance like that out in the open, you will see those close companions of your start to slowly walk away. And that'll help you. Did me. Like, I will never forget. And, and it, this is not because I'm super spiritual at all. I just had a challenge issue to me summer camp going into my sophomore year by Pastor Mike Blake. If you're serious about taking your walk with the Lord to the next level, take your Bible to school the first day. Took my Bible the first four days of school, and everybody who was just... No, I won't get into that story. Everybody that I was a close companion with at the end of freshman year of high school are now starting asking me, why do you have your Bible? This is weird. What are you doing? They didn't say that about any other book I had. They notice. I forgot it day five of the first week of school, and they noticed that even more. Started getting made fun of. Is Jesus going to send you to hell now because you don't have your Bible? People that I called my friends, people that I called my close companion. And when they saw over time that this wasn't just a phase, because I learned my lesson that day, I was like, nope, until graduation, I'm never forgetting this book again. Took it with me every single day from sophomore year to my final day in graduation. Every single day, just carrying this book around was a reproof to them because they saw it wasn't just a phase Corey was going through, that he was legit about this. You carry yourself that way, you will see people, and it'll hurt. It'll hurt. You'll see those who are your close friends like, yeah, Corey's weird. I don't want to have anything to do with him. 
don't be weird for the sake of being weird. <laughs> Just carrying your Bible itself will do that. Not partaking in their evil deeds will do that. But the, back to this whole idea of a false accusation. Another practical story. I will never forget uh, one that was levied against me my senior year. I think it was the yeah, it was fall of my senior year. Now, you put yourself in my shoes. For three years, I've been trying to be a light in this place, trying to live up to our youth ministry that we had created, the, the, the mission statement that we came up with, the name that we came up with, wanting so much to embrace it and trying to be a testimony that attracted people to the light, attracted people to the gospel of Christ. And here it was, the fall of my senior year, and I have a couple of uh, football players in my English class invite me over. And I just go over and I'm like, hey, what's up? And then they said, uh, hey, so at practice the other day, so-and-so tried telling us that um, you got together with two cheerleaders. And that's as PG as I'll put it. And you ever have like one of those things where it just shotgun blasts you and you're like, okay, well, how do I even respond to that? And you like have a million thoughts flooding through your head and it's only like milliseconds though, but there's a million thoughts. I remember the one being, okay, is it losing my testimony if I make this kid's face into mashed potatoes and gravy and just obliterate him? I'm like, okay, well now I gotta deal with it here and now. So I gotta tell him, I was like, no, there's no way I would ever do that. And, but, but if I sound too desperate, does it make it sound like I'm actually guilty? And as I'm doing all of this in just milliseconds of time are going by, just milliseconds, the kid who started talking, he saw I was getting verbally upset or physically upset, and he's like, Corey, Corey, we shut him down as soon as he started saying it because we know you. We know you would never do anything like that, and we know you're saving yourself for marriage. So I don't know why he said it, but dude, it's okay. We shut him down before it got anywhere else outside of our circle because of the testimony I had, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because I kept myself from even the appearance of being flirty or even the appearance of being too close with sinners, of companions of fools. And thankfully, other lost people noticed that. So the accusation didn't stick. If that were to happen to you tomorrow, would anybody have reason to believe it? Still want to turn that kid's face into mashed potatoes and gravy for that. That ticked me off. First Thessalonians 5.22, you know what that says? It's one of the shortest verses in all the Bible. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If it even looks ungodly, if it even looks evil, if it even looks like it's going to damage your testimony, stay away from it, abstain from it. And 1 Peter 3.16 says, Having a good conscience that whereas they spake evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And that kid ended up being ashamed. I, uh, back to the whole thing of abstaining from appearance of evil. I don't care if it's your, your teammates on the football team or if it's other people that you're, you know, dance, cheerleading, whatever the case is, whatever you guys are into. If they're inviting you out to a party and you catch wind that there's going to be alcohol there, don't do it. If you even, if you're there and you had no idea and you see that it gets brought up, find a way home. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I know of a lot of people where their testimony got ruined, not because they partook in it, but just because, uh, well, not necessarily that their testimony got ruined, but it just caused you to be like, man, why'd they stay there so long? Why didn't they leave? Why didn't they call somebody if they didn't have a ride? Why'd they hang out there so long? Well, it ended up being that they didn't want to upset their friends. They didn't want to lose. They didn't want their friends to get ticked at them, or they didn't want to lose their friendships, and that was the reason why. It's not your fault if you find yourself in a situation like that. But what you do once you realize you're in that situation can make all the difference in the world. Point two. If when you're with your lost friends you find yourself thinking, talking, and acting like them, drastic and extreme measures may be needed for survival. Turn over to Psalm 106.
Psalm 106, look at verse 34. This is speaking about the history of Israel. There are a couple songs that show up where it's talking about Israel's history. It's a great summary of, goodness, Exodus all the way to, to Joshua and Judges, um, and in some cases the kings. Look at verse 34. They, Israel, did not destroy the nations. That's why if you look, read the book of Judges, yeah, they had so many conquests in the book of Joshua, but when they got to the book of Judges, there were certain nations and tribes and people that they did not kick out of their land. Again, whenever you hear that phraseology, think about your school, think about your mission field, think about the activities that you guys are associated with. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. Verse 35, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. You know what those works were? Verse 36 and 37, they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. That ties back in with some of the stuff we've been looking at on Wednesday night. You see how the wrong friendships can lead you down a very dark path? Jump over to Proverbs. Actually, well, you don't need to jump over there. Uh, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 1. I mean, it's the way that Solomon kickstarts the entire book of Proverbs. When he says, my son, don't go and follow the way of wicked men. Don't pursue after wicked men and follow their deeds. They're going to try to rope you along and get you to be a part of their deeds. Don't do it. It's how he starts the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Chapter 1, he says, choose your friends carefully. That's the summary. You can check that out later. James 4.4 4 says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, don't be friends with the world. If you're a friend of the world, you're at enmity or division with God. So what are these extreme measures that you might need to do for the survival or the sake of your own spiritual well-being? First bullet point, sever, separate, and sanctify. Sever the friendship. If you can't stop yourself from thinking, talking, and acting like your lost friends, you've got to sever it. If the Bible's not doing it, or if you're... If, you know, not to say that the Bible's not doing it, but if you're too scared to bring your Bible into it, if you're too scared to reprove their, their works, then you just got to stop hanging out with them. They're eventually going to ask, though. They're eventually going to ask, why'd you stop hanging out with us? So you better be ready to answer them and not lie. Sever it. And then separate yourself. Stop going to where they're going. Stop doing the things they're doing. Get out of group chats they might be in. And sanctify. You know that word? It's kind of like repentance. Repentance doesn't just mean uh, to, to turn to God. No, it means you're turning from something and turning towards something. It's a dual meaning. Sanctify is the exact same way. Sanctify means you're set apart from something to be set apart unto something. Again, in this case, from the world and set apart unto Christ. So, yeah, if you sever and separate the connection, that's all well and good, but you better have something that you're sanctifying unto. Otherwise, you'll be leaving this group here, and you'll be going over here, and then eventually making a U-turn. It may not be back with those original friends, but you might camp out here with a new friend group. And they might be even worse than the friends you just left. So you better have something you're sanctifying or setting yourself up or apart unto. We just saw 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15 earlier. Here's verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Christ wants you unto himself. You're still in the world to reach them. But as far as what gets your time, what gets your talent, what gets your treasure, what gets your heart, what gets you... It needs to be the Lord. And if you're so closely knit and so such close companions and yoked together with a lost world, then you're not going to give your heart to Christ. And if you're not going to give your heart to Christ, it will affect who you end up dating and who you end up getting engaged to and who you end up getting married to. Nehemiah chapter 9. I stinking love this book and I love Nehemiah. This guy pulled no punches and told it like it was, and in some cases got a little physical. Look at verse 1. 
Now on the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting with sackcloth and earth upon them. A little context. The book of Nehemiah happens not long after the book of Daniel does. So remember, Daniel, Israel is completely taken captive by the Babylonians. They spend some time in captivity there. They are delivered and sent back home in the book of Ezra. They build the temple in the book of Ezra. Nehemiah takes place directly afterwards where now they start building up their defensive network. It's time for us to have a city again. Time for us to have a home again. But, as you find out, when you're trying to do this, when you come out of a camp experience and you realize, okay, I need to go back home and I need to fortify my defenses, I need to be strengthened in the Lord, as soon as you start doing that, I have a feeling it was probably somebody... It might have been an accident. Yeah, not intentional. As soon as you start doing that, you're going to have distractions and opposition come up. So Nehemiah, he says here, In the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. That's a word that means foreigners. It means the people who were not likened unto them. They didn't have communion with, no fellowship with, because Israel was light, the strangers were darkness. They separated themselves from all the strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their father, their fathers. And note what they did next. Verse 3. They stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. You think church might go long? You think reading for a half hour a day is too much to do? This was one-fourth of their day. Holy smokes. The point of this study sheet right here, this point that we're on, is sometimes extreme and drastic measures need to take place. The challenge is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go to the extreme for the sake of your walk? Otherwise, you risk getting swallowed up. Yeah, you can think of Jonah, but his wasn't necessarily that he had friends. No, there's a story in Numbers 16 about a guy named Korah that I would strongly advise all of you to check out and read later. Korah was a very influential religious man. Korah was able to lead a rebellion against Moses and against the children of Israel in a religious sense. Huge doctrinal picture there about churches today. He was so influential, and when it came to the deciding point of whether Israel was going to follow him or Moses, Moses prayed, Lord, people need to know what's going on here. This is a mutiny, and if, there's, if, if, you're, if you're wanting to go with me, I pray that you would do something drastic that you've never done before. And you know what God did? Oh, He answered that prayer where the earth literally opened up and swallowed Korah into the depths of hell and then closed itself back up. Here's the thing, though. It wasn't just Korah. It was everybody who followed him because he had other companions who got behind him, who followed him, and they got swallowed up with him. Be careful who you fellowship with. Be care careful who your companions are. And last point. Same question we ended with last week. What's your testimony like with those at school or in the world? For those of you who work, what's your testimony like there? If you have lost family members in your home, what's your testimony like there? Do any changes need to occur? 2 Corinthians 1.12 says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our, what's that word? Yeah, your lifestyle is what that means. And again, your life speaks. That's why that word is used there. We've had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. He's saying that, man, we have a good testimony with the world and with you believers by the grace of God. But turn over to chapter 13 of Nehemiah. Sad end of this book. 
one of my favorite verses that I've not gotten a chance to quote often. Probably not good to quote in this room often, but I love how Nehemiah, he, there's a couple of people who are causing trouble. And he goes, if I see you back here again, I'm going to lay hands on you. <laughs> love it. Love it. So we get here to uh, the end of Nehemiah. And look what verse 23 says. And this serves as a good conclusion to friendships and also a good segue into dating. Verse 23, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. These are the enemies of Israel. These are companions of fools that wise men are yoking themselves together with. And look what happens. Look what the effect is of being too good of friends with the world. Verse 24. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. You know what happens when you become too close to friends with the world? Your speech changes. Your speech changes when you're unequally yoked. Your conversation changes when you have friends with fools. Your lifestyle changes when you become a companion of fools and you end up being destroyed. Look what Nehemiah did. Again, I love this guy. Verse 25, And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You think I'm harsh on you guys? Mm -hmm. <laughs> made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto your sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Because this is serious business. That's why he went to the extremes that he went to, to protect those he cared about the most. You ought to have a good testimony in the world. The world should not be influencing you. It should be the other way around. You should be influencing others to see the light that's in you, to be drawn to Christ so that you can lead them to Him and they can be saved. This is another story and anecdote that happened uh, with me that I'll share with you guys. We'll end here. Just to, again, as a challenge to you guys, because I didn't plan on this, but I was uh, in the speech and debate team uh, my junior year, and the category I was in with speech and debate, I was uh, uh, with a, a partner. We were in duo. And I remember we went all the way to uh, the national tournament, or the, the qualifying round for the national tournament. It was at Central Catholic. And we made it to the semifinal round and then to the final round. And so we get to the final round, and I'm like, oh, wait. Nationals happens the exact same week of camp, church camp. I'm like, Lord, I really, really don't want to miss church camp. And I wish I would have known that before I went to this tournament. But now I'm linked with this guy, and he really wants to go to nationals. So we end up in the final round, and so we're up there, and they're, doing the, they're running off the names of who, the, out of the six people that were, the six groups that were in there, the top three were going to the nationals. The two after here were runners-up. My buddy and I, we got to be the fourth place runner-up. I'm like, thank the Lord I can go to camp now. Because surely, nothing's going to happen to the top three who got the national spot. Well, sure enough, something happened to one of the top three in the national spot. The stupid... Sorry, this is on the podcast. Hopefully this kid's not listening. Uh, the kid... Well, he made a stupid mistake. The kid at Jackson uh, hacked into his school and changed his grades and did it, did it for one of his friends, too. Ended up doing some community service uh, a couple years later. What, do you guys know him? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh. You, you're trying to do it? <laughs> no. Walk away from that. Don't think that way. Anyways, so it was like a week before school let out. And so they brought this to our attention. Like, hey, guess what? You guys are going to Nationals. And I said, hey... Since we lost, I already signed up and paid for my church camp, and I'm, I'm not leaving it. This got the attention of the speech and debate coach, of the other principals, and literally everybody else on my team, which back then, if you guys know anything about Perry's speech and debate team, there's like 120 kids on this team. 
and we were the returning state champions that year. And I think we actually won states that year too. And so uh, this got a lot of people's attention and I was very heavily pressured even by my speech partner. Um, hey, you definitely need to go to this tournament. And I stood my ground as a no. To the point where I had like six hour conversations like two days a week with my partner. And what was funny is that he's actually a pastor's son. And he was arguing with me about why I just needed to go to this and why that church camp could wait for next year. And I was like, not for me, it can't. He's like, I'm not going to be ministered unto, I'm going to minister. He's like, I need to be there for my youth. And you know what's interesting about that? To this day, he's the only kid that I still talk with for my graduating class from time to time. Very next year, he was ticked at me, but when he saw the beginning of senior year that I didn't hold a grudge against him, that I wasn't ticked against him, but I just loved on him as though nothing had happened, he was like, it completely changed my outlook on you. And I was like, wow. It, what it did is it did what Romans 12 says, you heap coals of fire upon people's heads when you live that way. So if you were in a challenge like that, and again, that was my own personal conviction. Not saying for you guys, if you're put in a similar situation that you need to choose one or the other. But if it is something big like that, where you're like, man, do, do I go with the Lord on this or do I go with things here? Understand that whatever you decide can and will have an impact on your testimony. Yeah, I suffered a lot of heat from that. But when I came out the other side of that fire, there were people who... I'll tell you another story another time. There were people who they didn't no longer looked at me with disdain. They understood why I did. And, they, and if anything, they're like, man, he's a man of principle that he stands by his guns and he's not going to waver for anything. That sort of thing stands out in a day and an age where people your guys' age aren't doing that. You do a step like that, you will stand out, your light will shine brighter, and you will draw more people to Christ as a result of it. Amen? Amen.